join me by turning to Ruth chapter 2. We're going to look at the second chapter. Second section in this small book. The Old Testament after Joshua, Judges, Ruth. This is the time of the Judges. It is a dark, it is a cloudy, it is a very disturbing time in the life of God's people, the people of Israel. They have been in rebellion to God on and off. And we find in this story a story of redemption, a story of God's grace. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and will break with blessings on your head. Do you believe that? It's hard to believe that sometimes. It's sometimes so difficult to believe that, that the clouds that we so often dread are big with mercy. And will it very soon break with blessings on our head? The frowning providence that comes in our lives, the the disturbing circumstance that comes in the form of, of death. Death of a friend, death of a spouse, death of a dream, death of a relationship, death of health, death of something in your life, and we grieve and are overwhelmed. And in this world, we'll experience that. And we find this in the book of Ruth. We find what happens in the book of Ruth is we have a, a main character come right at us, Elimelech. But really, it's not Elimelech that we see. It's Elimelech's wife, Naomi. And Naomi, in chapter 1, goes with her husband and her two sons. They travel out of fear of famine, and they travel to a foreign land, Moab. They go east, and in Moab, they're there for at least 10 years. And early on in those times, her, Naomi's husband dies. And to make matters worse, his, her two sons marry, at least in her mind, they do the, the forbidden as an Israelite. They marry two foreign women. God had told them not to do that. Marry two foreign women, Ruth or Orpah, the, the two sons of Naomi. And for ten years, they're barren. They do not have any children to carry on the sea. And then these two sons die. And Naomi is devastated. Naomi says, God has been dealt bitterly with me. She, she is overwhelmed. She's depressed. She's going to go back. And she hears word that God had visited her homeland, Bethlehem. And she is now going to travel back home, even though her property and land from her husband is in, it's in foreclosure. It is... It is defaulted on. She has massive debt. She cannot farm that land. She cannot hire people to take care of it. And what's going to happen is she's going to lose it all. She has no no economic support and whatsoever. She's gonna, but she's going to go back to her homeland. Better there where there's food, at least, and possibly some mercy than this foreign land of Moab. So she goes. Her daughter-in-law say, we're coming with you, Mom. And she says, are you nuts? Are you crazy? You stay, you stay here. You stay here with your parents. 
you stay here where you have some hope of economic support, where you have some hope to be able to actually marry again, have children, if, if God opens your womb, and that you could carry on your life. This is, this is a traditional society. And for them, at this time, it meant everything to have children. And, it, and it, God still wired all of us to have that. And for them, it, it meant everything to carry on the line of the descendants. Orpah finally says, okay, I will, I'll, I'll go home. But Ruth, it says, cling to Naomi. What we find is, a, we saw last week, is a beautiful picture of devotion. Of devotion to Na- of kindness to Naomi, but even greater devotion and love to God. Because what Naomi, what Ruth does is she says, I am going to, to forsake my parents, not, not in a rudeness, but I'm saying I am leaving the place where I could find all security, all earthly comfort, all hope, and I'm going to cling to Naomi and her God will be my God. Her land will be my land, and she goes. She goes back to the town. We left last week, we left the story in a couple ways. One is I told you the end of the story, because at the end of the story, God does an amazing work through the daughter-in-law, Ruth. We find out God doing a work through Ruth, and in this, Ruth becomes the grandmother of King David. And if you know your Bibles, you know that King David is the forerunner of King Jesus, who will reign on the God throne forever and ever, and will bring all tears, remove all tears, and bring joy to the world. And he brought it, and he's going to bring it again when he returns. We find this happening through a foreign woman who couldn't yet have children, who was raised with pagan gods, and something happened where she said, I'm going after this. What we saw last week is God is sovereign. Ruth, Naomi is overwhelmed, and she says to the women of the town, don't call me Naomi. My name may mean pleasant and sweetness, but don't call me that. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. And I ask you this, and I ask you this morning, do you find yourself through overwhelming circumstances. Maybe it's not one thing, but it's so many things. Or maybe it is one big thing in your life. That either it's happened recently, or it just keeps coming at you, and you feel absolutely overwhelmed. Maybe you know somebody that's in that circumstance. We see in Ruth chapter 1 that God was sovereign over the difficult and dark things in Ruth's, in, in Naomi's life. But we see grace starting to come out. Grace meaning God's care and kindness in the midst of darkness. So often the person that is absolutely grieving and overwhelmed does not see that at the moment. C.S. Lewis described when he lost his wife Joy, and he wrote Grief Observed, he described how the relief of his grief and his Healing in God came not like someone turning a switch on in his house. No, but it was like the dawning of the day, just slow and gradual. And we find slowly and gradually, at least at the beginning, we see God, at least us, 
Because we get to read the whole book. We get to see the story from, from the end. But we read this and we say, hey, don't despair, Naomi. Don't despair. It's the beginning of barley harvest. And don't be despair. You said you came away empty. But you're not going to say that at the end of chapter 4. At the end of chapter 4, people are going to say something different about you. They're going to say, no, you didn't come back to Bethlehem empty. You came with your daughter-in-law, Ruth. And Ruth is going to mean more to you than seven sons. An unthinkable thing for an Israelite woman to say about a foreign woman. Because God is at work. Because God is on the scene underneath. We're going to see God on the scene underneath, working under the surface in chapter 2. We see, we're going to see that God is doing something bigger and better than, we, than Ruth could ever imagine. We can imagine because we get to see, and we get to see the whole Bible. But, but we've got to remember, Ruth didn't. Naomi didn't. And what we find here in chapter 2, we find the beginning of God working through ordinary means to do extraordinary things. We see God working through the devotion to Him, and we see Him working. And what we're going to see, and I've entitled the sermon, Clouds Big with Mercy. They're clouds, but they're big with mercy. And God's going to do a work. Let's read chapter 2. I'm going to read it. It's a long chapter, and you should have the note. If you got your notes when you came in, it has the whole chapter. The verses will be up on the screen, but if you join me, I'm reading from the ESV, uh, Ruth chapter 2. And now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Okay, foreshadow. Boom. The, the, the narrator tells us that fact right away. Now, Naomi had a relative from Elimelech. His name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Let me stop for a minute. God had a way of caring for the people of Israel and the people in the world where God said, I am going to give land and property to people, to my people, but I am not going to allow them to maximize their profits. Hear that, businessmen and women. God's plan was for you not to, for His people to not maximize, that could be a whole other essay, but, God, but not to maximize their profits, but to actually leave the corners and the edges in order for the poor and the needy, the foreigner, to come and glean. Because of God's mercy, He wanted to teach the people of Israel that God gave them everything. And that in giving them everything, they would give and care, and love, and show compassion. Now, not everybody did this, but Boaz was faithful in this. Now, Boaz said to this young, his young man, one of his employees, who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman. 
who came back from Naomi from with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves of, after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. Do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but feed close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged you young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. He went way above and beyond what he was to do. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the day of your husband, since the death of your husband, has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land, and you came to a people that you did not know before. If, you're, if you are a Bible verse underliner, 12 is a good one. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, that's Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant. Though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some of them from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. He's like, just make it real easy. Provide for her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw that what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. But she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvests. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women in Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. As we saw, what I want us to see here is God bringing out of the midst of cloudy circumstances, the darkness, the, the difficulty. They don't have any hus- they don't have husbands, they don't have a job, 
We don't have a means of provision, and God is providing. In this story, we see Boaz is introduced. We find Ruth announces her plan to glean. She tells that to Naomi. Naomi says, go. Boaz sees Ruth and talks about her behind her back. Boaz shows kindness to Ruth. Ruth says, why are you treating me so kind? Boaz gives his reasons and says, Ruth, all that you've done for Naomi, your mother-in-law, it's been told. It's legend. And how you trust God. Boaz invites Ruth to eat with him. Boaz instructs his servant to provide for Ruth. Ruth gleans a lot of barley. Ruth comes home, tells Naomi. Naomi praises and reveals who Boaz is. Ruth continues to gain in the field. Now, in this story, we find three big characters coming out. Two especially, but we find still the three main characters. We find Boaz, we have got Ruth, and we have still Naomi. We find Boaz just coming into this chapter, this story, and we find, what do we learn about him? He's a wealthy, and he's an important man. He's, he's called a worthy man. He has servants. He has land. He's very generous. He's a godly man. He greets his, ser- he greets his servants with a blessing to Yahweh. He speaks to them in that way. He talks to Ruth in, a, in his spiritual terms. He, he, he's kind and gracious, and he sees his her need. It's probably unlikely that at all times men of Israel were treating widows like this or treating foreigners like this, and he does. He's generous. But it's very important to notice he's a relative of Naomi. He's a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. He is a goel. We're going to look at that especially next week. What does that mean? He's a Goel. He is a kinsman redeemer. And we find Ruth here. She carries out her commitment to Naomi. She's industrious. She She's humble and she's not presumptuous. She comes and says, may I glean here? And she comes and she's treated with kindness. And she doesn't act in terms of, man, I deserve it. Thanks for giving me help. She says, why do you treat me like this? I don't deserve this. I'm a foreigner. And we find the character Naomi at the beginning and the end. She's no longer hopeless. And she's excited for the first time in the story. And she praises God for the kindness of God and blesses Boaz. Now what what do we see in this, this chapter? There are three lessons, and you have them in your outline, that I want to give you this morning. Three important lessons that we see in chapter 2 that we can, I, I want to say three important, can I say it this way? Three important truths to glean from this passage. Gleaning from the field of Ruth chapter 2. Number one, I, I want to put it this way, luck would have it. I don't believe in luck. I hope you don't believe in luck. But, but it is as though the author of Ruth, we don't know who that author was, it was almost like, He was writing and said, as luck would have it, and that's what we find in verse 3, that when she starts to go out to do what she said she's going to do, in verse 3 it says, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. If you were to write it in a modern terms, as luck would have it, she came to the field of Boaz. This is, is this a coincidence? Is this a shocking coincidence? 
thing that she comes here. And of course, we all sit here having read some of our Bibles or all of our Bibles, having understood the ways of God working or at least been taught that. We know that, no, this is not luck. This is not just some fate that is uncontrolled. God is at work. And it's not luck, it's God's providence. She didn't just happen to come to the field of Boaz. God guided her. And so is true in our lives. So is true in our lives with the circumstances that we face in our lives. That you may not see for decades and decades, or you might find out this year, why God put you across this path of this person and you go, It was as though I just happened to come here, but God was in this. And we find in this chapter that God is sovereign over the affairs of all people, including Ruth and Naomi. But God in His sovereignty is now guiding and directing. And He's using a faithful young lady, Ruth, who's just obeying and showing kindness to go out and, and, and do the next thing, next logical step by faith, and God is guiding her. You see... Solomon says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And God is establishing the steps of, of Ruth and Naomi, and God guided them. And here's the lesson. Know God is in control and trust in Him. Faith Baptist Church, know that God is in control and trust in Him wherever you are. It's hard. It doesn't mean that it, it's going to feel joyful, but God in His grace is in control. And we find and we learn from Ruth, we need to trust God that He is in control in all things. The second thing that you need to see is the best is still to come. The best is still to come. What do we find in Ruth chapter 2? Ruth chapter 2 brings us to circumstances where, whew, there's some relief here. It was bad in chapter 1. There was, there was tragedy after tragedy, and at the end of chapter 1, we find, find barley harvest coming. We find some action now taking place to try to remedy at least the financial need. And then you come away at the end of chapter 2 going, hey, this is getting better. At least Naomi has received kindness from a relative through Ruth. Ruth is out there. Ruth is now has found some benefactor. And some benefactors say, hey, you can always glean in my field, and, when, and I'll make sure you're protected, and I'll make it extra easy, so much so that she can eat while she's working, she can take some back to, take some back to Naomi. Things are starting to get better. But one of the lessons that we're going to see as we look at the whole, whole book of Ruth is that the best is yet to come, though it is good, that God in His kindness and grace is bringing financial and material blessing in, in small ways to Naomi and Ruth. The best is still to come. The best is still to come because God is at work and He has a much bigger plan than just meeting the financial, physical needs of Ruth and Naomi. You know that sometimes when God, we are in our, li- in our lives when we're going through trials and adversities, we are just crying out to God, God, would you relieve this suffering? Will you relieve this pain? And, we, and, then, and then either God does it soon or He does it in some different way or He 
It doesn't seem like he's doing it anytime soon, but sometimes he does bring that relief. And I have to say, that is not the greatest thing that we need. God, God, is, God is gracious and merciful, and yet he brings relief and comfort. But the physical relief that we often pray for, not always, but we often pray for, and it's not wrong to pray for it, is not the greatest thing that could happen to us. Because God has bigger and better plans for you and me. He is not so short-sighted as to think that all that Naomi needs is food. That all Ruth needs is to be taken care of. Because the best is yet to come, and God's got a plan for that. Because what we're going to see in the story, but we're going to see it more developed in chapter 3, but that Boaz is here, and he's not just a nice man. He's a man of the tribe of Elimelech. He is a man that's called a kinsman redeemer. He's a man that's qualified to do something that if, if the line is going to be carried on in the name of Naomi's former husband, which was meant everything, meant life for Naomi, it would have to be through somebody like Boaz, and they're just starting to learn about it, and God's got a plan. But the picture here that we're going to see, especially next week, but I want you to see it begin to see it now, is that God has a plan that he's going to work. And in fact, his plan in these days, in the days of Judges, in the life of two women, was for the salvation of those two women and for the salvation of everyone sitting in this room. God was working something through the obedient actions of a foreign woman who said, I'm throwing my lot in with God and not with, with the world. And I'm going to trust in God. God was bringing events to be so that her sins would be saved and the sins of everyone who looked to God alone would be saved. That's what God was about to do. He was in the process of doing. This is a significant story. And what we find here is that the best is yet to come. And here's the lesson. Hope in God because the best is still coming. You may, you may have, find relief medically. You might find relief financially. You might find relief in answer to those physical requests that you have that are burdening you or plaguing you or hurting you. And we should seek relief in those things. It's not wrong to seek medical help and healing. It's not wrong to seek financial provision. It's not wrong to seek uh, relational reconciliation and care. It's not wrong. In fact, we should. But But the best is still to come. And God has made our hearts to long for that. God has made us long for that. The third lesson I want you to see is what came up in chapter one, and I want to—we're going to close with this because I, I think this is this is the message that every one of us needs this morning, whether you're going through good times or bad times. What if you're if you're a soul, which everyone here is. You're a human being. You have a soul, a soul that will go on forever. And you, that soul is always trying to, it is, it is an absolute desperate need for righteousness. It, because without righteousness, without, without a right standing with God, the Bible says we are eternally lost. 
we are eternally damned. We are eternally ruined. And every one of us spiritually and even psychologically want to find justification in our life. We want to find significance in our life. We want to we want to be justified from our existence. And we find ourselves in that. What we find here relates to all of that when here's the third lesson and it's I wrote it in a strange way but I, I, so that we would dig into it deeper and see what he means what I mean by this and what I think that is the lesson in here. The third lesson is make God your debtor or, as I put it, flee to God for refuge. Make God your debtor. Boaz says something that we need to take note of. In verses 10 through 12, we find Naomi being, we find Boaz talking to, to Ruth. And Ruth says, why did you show kindness to this poor foreign widow? And unlike so many of us today, she is astounded by grace and mercy. So often for us, if, if I said to you, God is merciful to you and forgives you, so often we go, uh-huh, of course he does. I've sang about it all my life. God's mercy is amazing. It's grace. Grace is amazing. It's awesome. It comes to me. I deserve it. We, don't, we wouldn't say I deserve it, but we feel like we deserve it. Because our hearts aren't caught off guard by the amazingness. The, the utter astounding reality that God would come and do something and that is rescue us, his enemies, and love us. Ruth, who is a foreigner, is astounded by kindness, is not presumptuous, and says, why are you treating me like this? And we need to take note of what Boaz says. Boaz says, it's because all that I have heard, I have been hearing it all through the town of all the kindness that you have shown your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you forsook everything of your land. You left your father and your mother. You left all of that. You came to this land to Yahweh, in whom you, under his wings, you sought refuge. Here's an imagery. He's giving an imagery of God is like a mother, uh, is a bird, like an eagle with, with wings who would shield its eaglets. He's saying, like, like that, you are coming in and you, you look to God and say, God, I need absolute protection. I need rescue because if I don't have it, I am I'm without any, any provision, without any care. I cannot save myself. I cannot carry on. Or I will have no significance, no identity, nothing. But I come to you. You open your arms up, your wings over me, and I come under you, and you shield me, and you are a refuge. You are a protection. And that's where I find myself. And if I fall, it's, you got to get me. You have to catch me. If I, if, if, if any, any outside prey come at me, you have to stop them. Because I have no safety apart from you, is what Ruth was saying when she came from Moab to Bethlehem. And that is what God calls every one of us to do. 
That is what God called Abraham in the Old Testament. He went out not knowing where he was going. He left his homeland, and he believed in God. And he said, God, I'm going to go leave everything, but I have you. And we find here that Ruth says, I'm going to go, I'm going to leave everything, but I have you, and in having you, I have everything. I was talking to Pastor Jack this week, and we were talking about this concept, and you know what? This is the reality of every Christian that we need to face. You need to face, if you are coming for the first time, maybe you're here and going, I don't know if I've ever truly been saved and have been rescued, or you know that you've been saved. Here's a new category for what your faith needs to look like. What God calls you in your salvation is to be like Ruth, who says, I am an insecure person in of myself. I have no means of refuge, no means of protection, no means of being sheltered. There's only one. I try to get, the world offers all of these fake ways. The world says you can get it through money. You can get it through relationships. You can get it through human your own accomplishments. You can get it through Facebook likes. You can get it through, you can list about your, through your friends approving of you, of all of these types of things. And God says, all of those things will absolutely leave you empty and completely exposed to destruction. But come to me for refuge. Come under my wings and I will cover you. Come under my wings and I will shield you from the... In fact, when we take the Old and New Testament together, we're going to find what God calls every human being to do is to come to Him and He says, I will shield you with my wings against all evil, including judgment for your sins. And my wings will cover you. And if I could extend this metaphor... This wasn't what Ruth was meaning, but I want to extend it with a Christian perspective, the New Testament perspective. The wings that now guard us from all danger to our soul is Jesus Christ. And those hands that guard us and protect us is the hands that were pierced on the cross. And Jesus Christ is our refuge. He is our righteousness. For, for Ruth, for, for Boaz, it was, you, may God repay you, and may God reward you. What did you do? Did you earn your salvation? No. All you did was say, God, you've got to be my refuge, and if you're not my refuge, I'm, I'm a goner. And that's what we say when I'm a Christian. God, if God said to us, why should I let you into heaven? Why should you, I let you into my heaven? We should say, because I clung to you for refuge. In Jesus Christ, He is my refuge and my salvation, and there's no other hope. And you, you, because I can't earn it, I can't gain it, I can't do anything to do it. All my efforts would be futile; they would not would not work. And Ruth, Ruth demonstrates this devotion, and we find the heart reason for why she decided to go and help Naomi. She didn't go and help Naomi because she had sympathy for Naomi, though she probably did. She didn't go and help Naomi because she was trying to try another religion. She was going after Naomi and showed kindness to Naomi, and she went into this land of Bethlehem 
because she saw a God that was more satisfying, more secure, the real God of the real universe, and said, I'm going to go, and I'm going to go under his wings, and he will protect me. And that is the call for us this Christmas. That is how we make God our debtor. We say, God, you, you must do it. You must do it this Christmas season. I, if I start to count up how, if I've been naughty or nice, the, the naughty part goes way too high. Because you know my thoughts. You know my envy. You know my lust. You know that I don't love you all the time like I ought to, but you've called me to love you with all my heart, soul, and mind. I know there's envy, there's greed, there's all of these things. You know that you've given me so much, but I still don't trust you. I get so anxious so quickly. All of these things. And God says, that's why I sent Jesus. I, 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 I forgave that long ago. You just come to me for refuge. Come to me for refuge. And so I, you find your acceptance in what I did. And so as we come to this, as we come to this end, I call you to come to the God who opens his arms and says, through Jesus Christ, and says, I'll shield you. I'll be your refuge. I'll be your refuge in over your trials. I'll be your refuge in, on earth and someday for eternity. I, I am, and that's what, that's what Christmas is all about. That's what, there, there, is, there is, it's not insignificant that we have a story, like I said last week, of a woman in Bethlehem with dark circumstances and redemption taking place. Because God was going to do this again. He was going to do it once for all through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so, let me conclude by saying this. Faith Baptist Church, those that are here in this, in this room, would you seek shelter and refuge in the God of Ruth, in the God of Israel, the God that reveals Himself in Jesus Christ, who sent His Son, Jesus, to be your Savior and the Savior of everyone who clings to Him and, is, and looks to the one who is greater than Ruth, who left his father's home above and came for us. He paid it all. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would trust in you. We would trust in you. We would just, this Christmas, this year, that we would, you would find, you would so work in our lives so that we would love the truth that you, you are our righteousness. That we would hail the Son of Righteousness who brings life to all that come to Him. And God, I pray that you would move us this morning to a response by the way we feel. I pray that you would move out anxiety. You would remove envy. You would remove greed and fear. You would bring hearts of love and kindness and mercy, all as it's related to a, a deep understanding of what your love and your protective care, that we can be generous. We can be trusting because you got us. You protect us. You shielded us. And just as you took care of Ruth, you take care of your people. In Jesus' name.